Hey, everybody, and welcome to Hammer Down. I'm your host, Mike Bush, and today's guest is kind of royalty when it comes to freight and freight technology. Um, he is the number one reporter in the space when it comes to institutional knowledge, when it comes to been there, done that. And my favorite thing about reading his work is that he's got this great view of things that have happened in the past, and he's able to weave the narrative to say, this isn't new. We've been there. We've done that. He's going to be on the stage at TPM coming up very soon. Please welcome to the show, Eric Johnson. Mike, thanks so much for having me. I, th I think you were describing me just being old at this point and being around for a while. So, But I, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll characterize it as wisdom rather than... I, I appreciate so. that. Uh, be before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that uh, I know in 2006, I was pitching as a PR guy stories to Eric Johnson, who was then uh, writing at American Shipper. Eric, without without calling you old and, and sticking to the wisdom theme here, man, you have been covering this space for a long time. What got you into it? So it just dawned on me uh, last year, I was writing a, a post sort of thinking about how long I've been in the space. And it's it's been 20 years, actually, that I've been reporting on logistics. Um, I think like a ton of people in our industry, uh, if you weren't brought into this by a family member who you sort of got indoctrinated through blood into the industry, you, you backed into it for the most part. There's not many people who like sort of set out on a purposeful path to do logistics or, or be involved in the logistics industry. So that was very much my situation. I, um, I was, a re I always wanted to be a reporter. So I went to school for uh, journalism, um, graduated in 98. Uh, worked for about four years at a local newspaper in Southern California, uh, just doing kind of general reporting and got a chance to rotate onto the business desk one day uh, for like three months and loved it. Had no idea I would love it. Never in a million years thought I was going to be interested in business reporting. Um, but I also realized I had no background in it. Uh, so I went back to grad school to, to get a business degree. Uh, I went to Europe, actually canceled two birds with one stone. I always wanted to study in Europe and live there for a year. And, and, and I managed to get a degree while I was in between having a little bit too much fun over there. Um, but when I came back, there was an opportunity at another newspaper in LA, uh, a, a paper called the Long Beach Press Telegram, uh, covering the ports of LA and Long Beach. Had no idea anything about ports, anything about shipping, anything about lo global logistics, other than the little bit of, I learned in my business school and uh but thrown in the deep end and loved it straight away like really gravitated toward it um and then two years later i i as you mentioned i i got um hired by american shipper so then that's like a different when you're in a trade publication you're just like in it living it people are giving you f people who actually know what they're talking about and do this job and understand it to like an 10 degrees better than you ever can as a writer are giving you comments on it. It's very different than writing about it for like a general audience that may not know any more than you do. In fact, they probably know less. Um, so once I got past that kind of hurdle, it was like, and people started saying, okay, he at least doesn't sound like a complete idiot uh, when he's writing. Uh, the things that I loved about it initially just took hold that much more. So yeah, I mean, it was really like a, Issue, uh, a thing of circumstance that there just happened to be an opening covering the ports of LA and Long Beach as opposed to like 
the chamber of commerce or, you know, some other part of the economy there. I, I love it, man. And I think you're right. I, I, my, I, my working estimation is that 90% of the people are either in because of legacy or they're in because they fell into it. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to go work in logistics. And that, that's really the purpose of this podcast is, uh, is, is to try to change that yeah. and show cool people. Maybe it's, maybe it's changed. Maybe I think now it's probably got to be higher percentage than it was when we were getting into it. I'd like to so. think so. You know, you, you hope so. So, all right. If I fast forward a little bit, you've been with Journal of Commerce for how long? Uh, going on six years. It'll be six years in April. So uh, it's moved fast. And you were the first reporter I really saw focused on the logistics technology space. It was a cool way to differentiate yourself. I imagine as a, as a reporter, it must have been a nightmare because, you know, PR people like me would log into our database and see, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a tech reporter. Let me go ping him with anything having to do with it. So we probably pitched you stuff about ad tech. We probably pitched you stuff about any number of completely irrelevant things. Um, hey, this IPO is happening, all that. But what made you choose logistics technology as a differentiator? So again, uh, another example of like sort of falling backward into a uh, very fortuitous situation. So 08, 09, I'm an American shipper. I'm writing primarily about um, container shipping. I was in Asia at the time, living in Asia at the time, writing remotely. So I was writing a little bit about 3PLs and uh, like on the ground stuff at Origin in Asia. Um, 08, 09 hits, global financial crisis, existential, like way worse than COVID in terms of for most businesses, like existential stuff, like are we going to be able to keep people? Are we going to be able to be a business going forward? One of the, one of the manifestations of that was the container lines that sort of supported publications like American Shipper with full page ads in physical newspaper and physical, physical magazines, they cut marketing, they cut ad spend like overnight, which was obviously very terrifying. Uh, but at the same time, there was this slow grassroots emergence of technology providers that were starting to see the logistics industry as a very interesting place to build you know, bigger businesses and, and, and they were sort of taking that free space that had been vacated by kind of the, the normal companies that would sponsor or advertise in, in trade publications. So you started to see ads from like SAP and Oracle and a few um, technology providers that came up during the dot-com boom that had gotten some, you know, market entrenchment and they were, they were very eager to be seen in front of that audience. So the publisher at the time was like, you know, we write about tech, but we write about it like we have it on a, our editorial calendar or we write about it in a very ad hoc way. Oh, I happen to have a conversation with this person. Let's write about some technology that they offer. Um, so we went from that and he, and he said at the time, you know, I think we just need a full-time person writing about tech like every month, every day, basically. Um, and he said, Eric, I think you'd be the best person to do this. And I was like, you got the wrong guy. It was like, the, we need the shaggy video. It wasn't me. <laughs> uh, and uh, because like, I, I'm personally terrible with tech. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really bad at it. I can't fix anything. I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not an intuitive like tech person. So, but he said, A, there was no one else to do it. And B, um, he's, we, we sort of, we sort of landed on the, this is, this is actually an opportunity. And over time it, it actually was correct that the industry needed someone who could kind of like be the bridge between the, the vendors that like to speak in aspirational jargon, heavy kind of approaches to what they do to the reality of people who are struggling just like me to sort of like understand what a solution actually is for, how it works, how to get trained, what, what adoption really means. So it ended up being like actually a pretty good fit. Um, and that was probably 2010, I'm guessing. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's been like 13, 14 years now, just since I've been focusing on tech. Um, and it's been just as great as when I first got into logistics. Awesome. Very cool. So I, er, uh, what, in, in a previous episode, uh, Bart DeMunk, who was a, a Gartner and analyst came on and one of my favorite things to ask Gartner analysts and folks are, you know, what, what are the predictions that you saw and we're really proud of her. What are, what are the, the trends that you were able to predict and jump on and kind of be in front of? And, you know, I mean, your body of work speaks for itself, of course, but what are the things that, that you feel like you were really kind of on the, on the cutting edge in terms of breaking the stories or sharing, sharing something that, that the industry hadn't seen yet? Okay. Um, so I'm going to kind of waffle a little bit on your question, actually. Um, I, Typically, I'm a little shy when it comes to making predictions and like saying what's next. I get asked not a lot, but a fair amount. Um, and I also, I always a feel like I don't know well enough to like actually make a good enough prediction. And B, I also kind of feel like it's not really my role to predict what's next. Um, I, I actually see my role as helping people understand sort of the ball as it lies to use like a golf term, right? Like you're in a game. How do you play the game that exists? Not one that might exist in the future. Right. So I think what I've been, if I look back on my career, what I'm probably most happy about or most proud of is if I was able to help people understand how to, how to invest or not to invest in a technology that they were, struggling with that decision all the way from like, do I even have a framework to make a decision all the way to, I know exactly what we need. Now I know a little bit better what, what course I should have taken because I, I think the, the sort of underlying reality, especially over the last decade, I would say is just, is just confusion more than anything else. Just so many different options on the market, which is good in its own way, but it's also, really confusing. Um, so I, yeah, I, I consciously try not to get involved in the, like what's next, what's going to be, I mean, I I've written about it. I've done things like this. I get asked even internally, like, Hey, what's, you know, what, what is going to be the technology trend in 24? And I try to like waffle my way out of that answer because I really feel like there's so much work to be done to help people understand where things are now before I even go into like where the puck is going to be in five years that, um, I'd rather let people who are a lot smarter than me and a lot like more, well, I just mean like, not that I'm not smart, but like they're smarter in a very, in a very specific way that I'm not like, I'm by definition, I'm a bit more of a generalist because 
I'm covering a huge range of software categories, domestic, international, bunch of different processes for shippers, forwarders, carriers, brokers, right? Like, so it's, I'm never going to have the granular understanding of what's moving a, a very specific thing, like someone who's only focused on Got that. Okay. So shifting gears slightly and due respect to folks at Manifest, due respect to the folks at Freight Waves, there are a ton of events out there that deserve lots of credit. When it comes right down to it, TPM is sort of the granddaddy of them all. And we're coming up on the TPM event here in LA Long Beach. What are the things you're most excited about for this year's TPM conference? Um, well, I mean, excited, nervous, anxious uh, about incorporating TPM tech into TPM this year. For those who don't know, I've, I've sort of led four different incarnations of, of like standalone technology events put on by the Journal of Commerce. There were two in Las Vegas called LogTech um, in 2018 and 2019. Then we were going to start one in 2020 uh, that was incorporated in TPM. And of course, we didn't get to do that. So then we had a year and a half, two years to try to rethink like what we were going to do. So the last two years we did TPM Tech as a standalone event right before TPM, which was successful in its own way, but it was also like exhausting for everybody involved. Um, and so the, we made the decision earlier this year to go, let's, let's try incorporating TPM tech within TPM positives are, you know, we get access to the full like roster of TPM attendees of which there's going to be, you know, more than 3,500, um, and a ton of shippers. So we have the potential to draw those people, some of whom may not have gone to a standalone tech event. We have the potential to draw them into the tech sort of um, atmosphere because, uh, you know, they don't have to pay for a separate ticket. They don't have to set aside three extra days. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm excited about uh, kind of really focusing on process oriented sessions as opposed to just a lot. There's a lot of like abstract notions that are the basis for panels around technology and logistics. Like you need to digitize and you need to go on a digital transformation journey and you need to automate this and automate that. And it's like, you walk out of the session and you're like, I, I, I don't even understand what, what they were even trying to say. Like it sounded interesting, but then did I even take anything from it? So I'm, I'm super focused as I usually am, but I think especially this year on sessions around very specific processes that everybody has to engage in and like how technology impacts those processes. Um, so that's me personally. There's also a ton of cool sessions that I have nothing to do with that I'm super excited about. We're, we have the, um, we have the head of the USDOT flow initiative who's talking um, and just kind of under, helping shippers understand like where that, that project is. It's actually totally worth exploring because um, they're doing some very interesting work. We have Bob Gates talking about, you know, former defense secretary talking about what's going on geopolitically. We booked him in like summer of last year, so we could have never foreseen the Red Sea stuff, but um, we knew we knew geopolitics was going to be a big thing. Um, and then obviously, we you know, we have the normal cast of characters around you know, from container lines and big freight forwarders and, um, and 
you know what? Actually, one thing I'll call out, we have an insane number of shippers on the program this year. Um, we have something like somewhere between 25 and 30 shippers. It may even be more than that at this point on various panels. So, you know, to hear directly from the sort of customer's perspective is invaluable. And we're really excited about how many shippers are kind of wanting to participate in the discussions this year, rather than just sit in the audience and sort of absorb. They really want to like be part of the discussion. So that's, that's very encouraging. That's super cool. It used to be, you know, when you, when you, when you went to TPM, if you saw somebody with their name badge flipped over, so you could only see the back, you knew that was a shipper because they're believe me, we get, we get asked all sorts of things. Like, can I, can we like blank? You need like a technology to like blank our name when people are approaching and then turn it back on when other people, <laughs> there's all sorts of crazy ideas that we've had, but you know, you understand, right? 100%. Like they get completely bombarded 100%. with, uh, with, uh, requests understandably. Yeah. So Eric, last year, if I were to put a theme on it, and I don't, I don't know if this was the intention, it felt a little bit at TPM like shippers, not necessarily calling for revenge, but a lot of folks had some harsh feelings towards the the steamship community and towards some of the the capacity providers having been through two years of, of hardship and and seen rates go maybe a little higher than they should be. You know, if you had to put your finger on the, the pulse here and say, here's my expectation for this year. What do you think is going to be one of the, the unannounced kind of interesting trends that people walk away feeling? So it's interesting you ask that because we have internally been wrestling with sort of like what the tenor of this event is going to be. Generally speaking, like I'm talking to you, we're what about three weeks out. Um, generally speaking by this time it is, pretty, if not very clear, who is going to have kind of the upper hand in contract negotiations going into TPM. And it's really about, at that point, the, the conference itself and like the, the program we do is really about kind of like fine tuning around the edges, like the, the peripheral stuff that gets you from a, a $2,000 a container rate to 1800 or 2200 if you're on the carrier side, right? Like just tinkering around the edges. This year, it is not entirely clear who's going to be like kind of the one with the leverage in, in negotiations. And it could be very well that half of a carrier's negotiations, they have a bit more leverage and the other half, they have a, a little bit less leverage just because there's so much kind of precarious stuff hanging around the outside, like the Red Sea stuff is going on, which in a vacuum wouldn't seem to have any impact on the TP, but nothing exists in a vacuum. Okay. Um, the Panama Canal, very sort of unclear about like which way that breaks in terms of the amount of transits that are allowed given the water levels there. ILA on the East Coast, we don't know how much that's gonna in, in, you know, kind of compel shippers to move stuff back to the West Coast. So, you could, there could be a scenario, there's like 10 different scenarios, right? All the way from all of these things settle way down by the time, you know, April hits and it's totally a shipper's market all the way to the flip, which is water levels are at a all time low on the, on the Panama Canal. The Suez blows up even more 
you know, aggravates into like a Eastern hemisphere kind of uh, war zone. Uh, ILA starts agitating and the West Coast just gets completely crammed with with volume on the pure like kind of uh, East uh, Asia, US West Coast TP kind of lanes. That seems very far-fetched that all of that would break at the same time. But there's some, as with everything, it's probably some some uh, permutation in the middle, which makes it like a very uncertain kind of situation. And so what we're hearing is like a lot of people are going to go to TPM and they're going to kind of play chicken with each other on both sides. And they're going to wait to see the dynamic break in their favor that helps kind of get them over the line that they want to get to from a from a rate perspective. Yes. So my answer is like, I don't, the theme is like everyone kind of like in limbo right now until we see which way some of these things break. Eric, you've been a flag bearer in the industry for, for quite a long time. What is the best way for a startup that's just getting started to like get in front of you and to approach you? Well, okay. So you, you, you alluded to this a little bit, but like the, the challenge of being a technology reporter in this space and the challenge of sort of getting attention in a very noisy crowded marketplace for, for solutions. Um, I think about that probably more than I should probably an unhealthy amount. Uh, my wife would probably say a very unhealthy amount. Um, as I'm like tweeting with people at 11 o'clock at night on, uh, on DM on, in my phone, uh, you know, in bed when I should be sleeping. But, um, the, I, I think there's a major challenge that just keeps growing by the day for companies to sort of get attention in a attention starved, super noisy marketplace. Um, so, I mean, you're one of the few people that I feel like I've had a long-term sort of PR relationship with because you, and, and I know I'm not turning this into a celebration of you, but like you- Ken, I love you, celebrations of me. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, let, let's point out the things that you do well so other people can maybe learn a bit is you definitely take the time to understand like where I come from coverage wise, what matters to my readers, what matters to our publication, um, my process, all that stuff. Like you and I've had a million conversations and you know, that doesn't translate into you getting an unfair coverage advantage. In fact, you probably want more coverage from me than I've given, but you never hold it against me when something, when I, when I don't write, something about a company you work for. Um, and so, I mean, I, I do think people who are in the position of, of wanting attention around something they're doing would be served in sort of like understanding how I work and understanding how other people who cover the logistics technology space work. Some, some have are like way more prolific than I am at this point. Some are um, less prolific than I am. Some have different reader sets than I do. Um, and so they're going to want to, they're going to be attracted to a different type of story or a different type of company than I will. Um, so it, it's really about like not just carpet bombing the media, but rather like really being very tactical and surgical with how you create relationships with individual people, because that's going to get you so much farther than just sending the same message to every single person.
So Eric, the final question I ask everybody that joins the show is, you know, if you were giving advice to a soon to be a recent, uh, uh, just happened college grad who's thinking about considering this industry, what advice would you give them? Well, so like I'll first answer that by saying the, the intersection between my two industries, which is journalism and logistics has been a godsend for me, like for being able to focus uh, on a particular industry, especially one as vibrant as logistics has been amazing and has basically allowed me to have a successful career where I might, you know, different choices might have not allowed that to happen. So I think there's a, there's a lesson in there about that, that, that's not logistics specific, that if you focus on a niche early, as early as you can, as early as you feel comfortable, um, and you find that niche interesting, that can be a huge path to being like successful and stable in journalism where like virtually all other parts of journalism are not stable at all. So that's one. On the logistics side of things, um, I can't think of many industries that touch two areas that logistics is fantastic at and that I truly appreciate, which is one is unless you're in sales or unless you're in some sort of like partnership role in some other industry, it's pretty rare that you actually interact with people outside of your company, right? Like most people go to work and they just end up talking to 10 to 15 to 30 people inside their own company, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but you get kind of like this homogenous world where it's only about what your company is doing. Whereas logistics, and it's not just me because I'm a reporter, but logistics is all about like reaching out to other organizations to get, stuff from a long way off to where to you know where it's destined right so that's to me super interesting because you get to see not just how your company works but you get a little window into how other companies work and sometimes that's like oh i would love to work for that other company or sometimes it's like man that place is that s show i'm so glad we are not so dysfunctional internally uh but it's still fun to like interact right and the other aspect is just how international it is. Like if you're someone who enjoys learning about other cultures and, and not just like, you know, like you get to do when you travel for pleasure, but, you know, learn how other business, how, how business works in other regions. Um, if you like get to see, get to like work on teams that sometimes have eight different nationalities, right? Like, I mean, you had mentioned manifest earlier in the, in the show. I was just there and I, I did three sessions and I think I counted, I had, I was on sessions with 10 other people and nine of them were for, from nine different countries. There was only one other American on any of my panels. Everybody else was from, you know, nine different countries. Like, that's awesome. Like if that's something that you find interesting, this is like an amazing industry to be involved in. Eric Johnson, thank you so much for being guest on Hammer Down. Appreciate you, brother. Oh, absolutely, Mike. Really enjoyed it.